Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome to Legacy's Journey, where we talk about creating what outlives you. I'm your host, Cameron Williams, owner of Kenley Consulting, where we focus on strategic financial growth for marketing agencies so that they can live the dream life they deserve and not be a slave to their business. And we do that through CFO services. Now, I told y'all I'm on this mission to get the best. And you know, when one of your buddies make a recommendation and say, you need to find this person, you need to talk to him. You say, okay, all right, I'm going to do that. So they recommended someone and we had to go get him. We started talking automatic, you know, synergy there. So I said, hey, we got to bring you on and let you, you know, tell the people how you're just, just doing such a great job. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves because I think what they do is very cool and unique. I don't want to mess it up, but ladies and gentlemen, Michelle is in the building. Thank you so much, Cameron. Hi, everyone. I'm Michelle Terpster, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Startup Sales Leadership Institute. And we help companies, coaches, consultants, agency owners, and SaaS startups. We help the CEO exit the sales seat and build a bespoke on-brand sales team so that they're no longer a slave to Zoom. <laughs> Right. So they have the ability to exit that part of their business and thoroughly enjoy living the dream and building a business. There you go. See, sales. I think actually you may be like the first salesperson we've had on here. Ooh, I love that. I love to be the first on a podcast. Yeah, I'm yeah, super I like, you know, You're the first one. All right. See, so that lets y'all know she's special. I told you, if you come recommend it, like we make some different changes. All right. <laughs> So how long have you been in business? Yes. Yeah, so we um, we started January of 2020, having no idea what was coming a few months later. And it was actually perfect timing for specifically what we help businesses do because we build remote sales teams. And okay. so that was really powerful timing because you weren't allowed to go in person anywhere anymore. So leveraging social media and other remote strategies became the way to do it. And so the business took off. Mm, yes, because that was when the dreaded COVID just yes. wanted to just start just tearing up our lives. Yeah. So I came in and did a little bit of rescuing for everyone trying to figure out how the heck to sell over Zoom and through social media. Okay. So now let's go back in time. So this is January, February, and you go to your boo and yep. you say, babe, I think I got this idea. I think I can change people's lives. What does he say when you say this? So that's actually, I'm so glad that you asked that question because it's actually part of my story. So I worked for three Fortune 500s and a small consulting agency in sales. So that's my professional career. And I came to my husband in like December of 2019. And I said, hey, I don't think I have that much steam left in me for these nine to fives. I think that I would be a really great sales trainer and consultant. And I've noticed there's this huge need with startups and small businesses that aren't quite sure how to do this. And I think I could be really valuable and take off. And mind you, I was in a multi-six-figure sales job with all the benefits and all the things. So it wasn't like I was walking away from you know some part-time low-paying gig. And, um, and he looked at me and he's just like, okay. I was like, okay. that's it? <laughs> if you think you can do it, you can do it. So let's rock and roll. He wasn't scared or like. No, like literally just straight face. Like, I think he was like drinking a beer at the time or something. It was like, he was like, okay. And he like took a sip of his beer. He was like, let's do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right. So, how many kids do you have? I have two. So, Abby is seven as we're recording, and Owen is 11. Okay. So, now. How do they take this? Like to them, is it just like, oh, okay, mom, cool? Or is this like, what does that mean? Oh, they love it. So they're just old enough. Like Owen for sure gets it. He's helped me edit videos and do like small things in the business too, which is like kind of cool. Actually, yeah. I think he's better at that video stuff than I am because of that age. So it's like, right. right. So, um, and he's got a little entrepreneur spirit too. And then my daughter, Abby, she loves coming and talking to all my clients on Zoom. She thinks that's so cool that you can use this thing and talk to people across calls. So she always walks in and she does this like, is it okay if I interrupt like head bob, you know? Because clearly I don't want her interrupting if it's something like a podcast or something else like that. 
and right. you know, come in and like my clients are so sweet. They're like, hey, Abby, how are you? How was school today? And <laughs> she thinks it's really cool. Look, how was school today? <laughs> I, I would just be laughing so hard like, hey, this is part of the game. She's part of yeah, she's part of it. So and they both think it's really amazing. They don't entirely understand what I do, but how I describe it to them is I help other business owners make more sales. And I just it's super simple. And so they tell all of their friends that that's the exact thing. Oh, my mom helps people make sales. My mom helps people make sales. Which I mean is factually true. That yeah. was not a lie. Yeah, and okay. they understand sales. So, you know, they get that concept. So yeah. <laughs> okay. So now they know that you do sales and you used to work the nine to five. And if I had to guess, whenever I hear somebody say six figure salary, you know, that means more than nine to five. Yeah. What was that transition like in the family dynamic? So now I'm guessing your tie was freed up to a certain extent. What does that look like in the day to day or the week to week? Like what are some things that maybe you had to change in the family rhythms? Yeah, so that's a really great question. So one of the big reasons that I went into sales right out of school was the flexibility. So I was always in outside sales, remote sales myself. And um, in that type of industry, like you're, I was like had a home office since I was 23 years old and you're responsible for a territory and, you know, you talk to your boss once a week and it's a very autonomous role and they only hire lone wolves right? So people who like to, who can motivate themselves, who are self-led, who are hunters, who are as independent as possible, right? So that was a really, really good place for me. And I actually loved, loved um, all of my sales jobs. I was really, really lucky. And all of my managers, so um, like the top ones, I would say I had like three, three guys and one woman, and they were all like incredible, wanted to see me succeed, super supporting. So I don't have this like angst or anger towards the nine to five. I honestly just outgrew it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, okay. And I was working a lot and it wasn't always on my terms because clearly like I don't control when the sales meetings are, right? Like that would be on like, you know, corporate. So I didn't get to pick the week I had to go to a sales meeting. That's just kind of right. how it is. So there were some things that were completely out of my control, but I purposely built a career on my desire to have autonomy in my life. And mm -hmm. I think that's like a really beautiful thing, at least for me. I really like it. And so when I transitioned out of the nine to five, I did it because I felt like I outgrew it. And I wanted to lead more. I wanted to build more. I wanted a legacy, an empire, all of these things that weren't going to be accessible to me in at least the nine to five jobs that I was part of, right? But I'm so grateful for that time because it built me into who I was today. And it also allowed me to accelerate my business really, really quickly. And I left a really good taste in corporate America. So, you know, everybody respects me and loves that I went and did this. I still get messages all the time from colleagues and ex-bosses that are like, wow, look at you did it, Michelle. We're cheering for you. That's amazing. Yeah. Look, that may be the first positive. <laughs> I know. Positive moving corporate to start my own business store. So you may be doing a lot of first today. I know. You know, that's just kind of how I am. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So you talked about leaving a legacy. So mm -hmm. in whatever your ideal um, business structure and time and format and services look like, what do you hope that your kids get from what it is that you do? Like you're already incorporating them some in like the mm -hmm. video editing, but what are you hoping like they look at mom and see? Yes. So I think that's a, that's a really profound question and it's actually different for my son and my daughter. So I'm going to tell two different stories here. So for, um, for my son, I want him to see the relationship that I have with my husband and how much you can be loved, even if you're powerful, and that you can still have a balance in your in your personal relationship, and both people can still be successful. My husband's mm -hmm. very successful. I'm super successful. I love modeling that for my son so that when he gets in a relationship, he can see that. And that he and, and I can already tell he loves women like me. I don't know. That's kind of like how it happens sometimes. Right. So I can see the girls that he likes are the like the ambitious ones, the ones that like are outspoken, all the things. It's quite quite entertaining to, to view. 
And then um, also, so for my daughter, I want her to know that she gets to do this on her terms. If she doesn't want to have an empire, I don't really care. But I want her to be happy and I want her to know that she has the ability and the choice to choose the path and that it's not dictated by society or by a man or by any other pressures that she receives. So I just want her to know that she has all of the choices and I'm modeling that. And I think it's really important. Okay. That is a strong answer right there. Okay. <laughs> what are some things that you guys maybe do? I don't know if it's a weekly basis or monthly basis to like stay in tune with each other and connect. We've yeah. had some people say like, ah, oh, we do a day trip. Some people say like we do pancakes every Saturday and Moe's on Sundays. Love so like it. do you have some type of task that everybody kind of looks forward to to connect? So that's, a, you know, I don't think we actually have something that's on repeat like that. I'm mm -hmm. a spontaneous person. <laughs> so, for example, last night my husband was out for a work event. So it was just me and the kids. And I eat super healthy. I get up at 5 a.m. I work out. I do all the things you're supposed to do, right? I just looked at my daughter and my son. I said, you know what? We're not going to have dinner tonight. We're going to make cookies and eat cookie dough. And that's what's happening tonight. And they both were like, What? And I was like, yeah, you guys want to do that? So we made cookies and ate cookie dough and they still had some regular dinner. But I just decided, why not? Right? Like, let's just have some fun. I would celebrate that. I mean. Right? And so I kind of feel like I hope that in, you know, 20 years from now, they're like, remember when mom would just be like, screw it. We're having cookies or dinner. Right? <laughs> My kids would love you if you ever can. Daddy, can we get the cookie lady to come back? So like, I was an aunt before I was a mom. And so sometimes I find myself like in aunt mode with my own kids. You know, like aunts would do that, not like the mom, right? <laughs> I feel like that's mom of the year type qualities right there. That's that's pretty. That's pretty. Uh, yeah. And I. All right. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so that makes sense. All right. So now let's talk about now you talked about Bay being real successful. Mm -hmm. And so how is that balance? Because, of course. You have your own thing and it's growing each and every month, every year. And then whatever he does, you said that he's super successful. So how does that look in terms of like keeping connected? Not just like we're both in the same house, but like, no, we still really love each other and enjoy each other. What does that look like for you guys? Well, that's hard. Like, that's a hard thing, right? And I don't really know anybody who would say that's simple or maybe I'm just missing something. So you have to put in the effort, right? So we have three or four babysitters and I just pre-schedule them out for like a month or two. Mm -hmm. And so that I know we have that time. And then sometimes we go out with other couples or sometimes it'll just be us. But what I have found is you just have to put it in the calendar when you have two busy schedules like that. To wait, wait, wait. But people say, no, you're supposed to be spontaneous like you were when you were dating. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, cookies. Right. Like a little spontaneity there. But I feel like you've got to do that. I mean, I at least I have never seen a relationship that has children and two very successful people that have success in their relationship without planning for it. I have never seen that. Um, if somebody wants to reach out to me and tell me they figure that out, please let me know. <laughs> with you, I feel like, you know, that's kind of a fantasy I feel like when you get married, like the fact is you have to schedule it because to your point, your calendars are going two different ways. You're trying to really invest in your kids and not just stick them in front of a screen. You care about who you're going to put in front of them or watch over them. So you have to utilize that calendar and schedule things or else you're going to keep saying, let's be spontaneous. And then three months later, we still haven't done a date or connected. Yes. And I mean, it's just the stage that we're in. Like when our kids are older, like I have some friends that have high school kids mm -hmm. and the high school kids don't need sitters and they're, you know, they drive themselves and all these things like your world totally changes at that point. Right. And right. you can have some more spontane spontaneity. Like if both kids are out that night, you're like, oh, what do we want to do? Right. Like mm -hmm. it changes. But the stage that I'm at right now with seven and 11, like you just kind of have to plan feel it i mean i agree with you because i think that's that's the only way you're gonna make it or else we stuck yeah how old are your kids cameron so mine are eight six and one and a half. Oh, that one and a half that's just 
I'll just throw a fork into the road. I'm just planning things. <laughs> and that's my guy right there, but I'm like, bro, you got to chill out. You, you're all over the place right now. Yeah. Okay. All right. So good. So now let's talk about, all right. So we talked about him being successful, you being super focused and intentional there. Now let's talk about your business. So sales, like for some people, that's a really, I don't know if the word is like icky or nasty or scary or intimidating topic to the marketing agencies that are struggling. Mm -hmm. Because I can say this from having clients, talking to prospects, being in their masterminds. Like we all know sales is what puts you forward. You got to manage the money. Yes, taxes are super great and strategies and all that. But if you're not making money, all of that doesn't matter. Right. So what are some things that you want to encourage since this is mainly for agencies, but mm-hmm. successful business owners? Mm-hmm. I think you will hear and you would know this better than me. Yeah. Yeah. Sales is just hard for most people. What are some things that you found or maybe tips that can help them to, I don't know if you want to say overcome those fears or concerns, mm-hmm. but to do better and drive more sales. Yes. Okay. I have two part answer to this. The first okay. part answer to marketing agencies specifically, like mm-hmm. you are built, built for sales teams. So I want to say that loud and clear. And the reason why is unlike coaches or consultants, where they're literally the face of the brand and it's kind of difficult to pull away from that as marketing marketing agency owners, pulling away from the face of the brand um, can actually be a much simpler process, which empowers a sales team to take over. And so first I want to position that. And before you're ready for that, you need to make sure your sales funnel is working. What do I mean by sales funnel? Please know how you're getting booked calls on your calendar, how you're doing lead gen, document the process, have at least a 50% closing rate on whatever process that is before you choose to hire a salesperson. So if you really don't like sales, the cool thing is, is like just like it enough to be successful to hit those metrics and then you could start to build a sales team, okay? So, and I feel really, really passionately about that. And also marketing agencies are some of the top companies that love to get bought, right? So there's a lot of people who sell their agencies. And if you don't have sales figured out in your business, which means it can happen without you, you are valued at less. That's it. Say that again, because, you know, acquisitions is huge. She's telling the truth. Say it again for them, because they may have just glossed over the gym. I'm going to say it again. If you ever want to sell your business, sales must be successful without you involved. Investors, buyers are going to devalue you, offer you less, or not make an offer if sales doesn't happen, if you leave for a month. So one of my favorite clients, she actually helps people exit their businesses. And she's that's actually one of her litmus tests when she's coaching is like, if you can't leave your business for a month, we're not ready. Mm. And that is super powerful. So she says, first, take a week vacation. Okay, nothing broke. We're good to go. Two weeks. Cool. Nothing broke. We're good to go. And then you do that all the way up to a month. And if you don't have sales figured out and you go a month without sales, like depending on what your business model is, I hope you have some monthly recurring revenue, by the way, because that's also valued a lot by investors. Um, You know, that becomes a problem. So that's my number one recommendation. That's strong. And I mean, I agree with you because um, part of that, and I've heard that framework in this book called Clockwork by Mike McCallowitz. Same thing. You got to work up to it, but it's going to reveal, is your business where it needs to be or no? Um, And we were literally talking to one of our clients about buying and acquiring a business. So we said some of those same things. So I think that is such a key, valuable point to really pay attention to. Now, for the... Do you think that sales are approached differently based on what stage of the business you're in? Or do you think everybody pretty much is one and the same? No, totally different. Absolutely. Like you cannot start a business and then be like, I'm never going to sell myself and I'm going to have a salesperson sell for me. There's very few businesses where that would work out. You would need a lot of venture capital or maybe you're in a co-partnership. One person's doing fulfillment and somebody else is doing sales, right? 
So um, I say up to your first million dollars that you make in your business, I actually recommend that you are the person doing the sales. Whoa, T, whoa. Your first, I just knew you were going to say like 500. No, I think we were first million. Now that's not million in one year, right? That oh, okay, total. Lifetime, okay? okay? So once you, the business owner, have done a million dollars in sales, then mm -hmm. you are ready to consider having someone join your team in sales. It is a wow. point. Yeah, and I've seen it. I mean, now clearly there's outliers both ways, right? But that is a general number that works really, really well and can make you feel extremely comfortable in the transition. And I do have one caveat to that. Let's say you're listening to right now and you're like, Michelle, I'm at like a half a million and everything is just dialed, like I'm ready to put fuel on this, then maybe you're the exception. You also don't have to start by giving sales over to someone entirely. And what do I mean by that? You can have a sales assistant. And what that can look like is, let's say you take Zoom for your sales calls, which I recommend, then you can have that sales assistant join you in that call. They can be part of the conversation. Then they can do all the contracts, the proposals, the follow-ups, the CRM tracking, like everything that takes you an enormous amount of time on the back end is handed off to someone. And that is one way to save massive amounts of time, right? And then you can start to give that person more and more control. Perhaps that they will screen calls before they actually go to you to close, for example. There's so many different ways you can build sales teams. And it doesn't have to be an all-in right now, everything at once. You can gradually, gradually lead up to it. And it can be a really effective process for you. This sounds like somebody who used to make six figures at Fortune 500 <laughs> companies. I'm telling you. Just saying. <laughs> because I think to be fair to your point, to keep driving at home, like most people, I know that's what I would think. Like, hey, all right, I'm making whatever, 300 or 500. All right, cool. Let me get a salesperson. And now you do sales. But I know we, fun story. Let's be transparent because we keep it real. I just tried that with um, a company where I hired somebody to bring in appointments mm -hmm. and it didn't work out in the manner that I wanted to. They, I gave them the script that I had, told them what I do, how to find the people, people I was already connected to. And there weren't sales being booked because there was nothing getting on the calendar. Mm -hmm. And I had to just take a, a step back and say, you know what? We need to pause this because... I can't even clearly communicate what to tell you to fix. You see what I'm saying? Because I only know how I do it. But to your point, maybe because I haven't done 5 million or whatever the number is that you would say, um, I don't know how to tell you what to troubleshoot because I only know just how to do it versus I think what you're getting at is it's one thing for you to be able to make the sale. It's another thing for you to effectively teach somebody else how to get the exact same result without you being there and jumping in every five minutes, you know? Yeah. So I think that is very good information because a lot of people, especially the agency world, they're very quick to try to offload and outsource and keep this off my plate. And I think you're just really driving home the point that you, you can't be so quick to just hand off everything. Yes. And I and it's very difficult for CEOs and marketing and marketing agency owners to communicate to sales teams like this is how I do it. That is a really, really difficult thing. So it's not uncommon that you had that struggle. Um, anybody listening right now that wants to get ahead of the game there, what I recommend is documenting your successful conversations, like literally screenshotting them all. And starting a folder, just casual folder in, in Google Drive, like successful DM conversations to book a call or whatever method you're using. And then ones that didn't go so well, right? So that you have that comparison points because um, simulation for simulation for learning and sales and voice is really, really amazing. And then also when you do your sales calls, record that. And then when you're done, go in and listen to your sales call and audit yourself, document that, put it in a folder. So that when you have somebody come on board, you have all these sample calls to go back through. Okay. Would you suggest, which I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think that everybody that is a business owner needs to have some sort of sales training unless you came from a sales background? 
100%. At some level. Non-negotiable. Even if you make less than 10K a month. Yep. 100%. It's why I, so I focus on the sales teams, but a lot of people come to me who aren't ready for sales teams and they're like, mm-hmm. Michelle, but I still want your help. Like, how can you support me? And I have a low ticket membership that's really good. And that is where the solopreneur can go to master sales skills themselves. And a lot of people are like, Michelle, why don't you charge 10K for this? And I'm like, because I don't want to. <laughs> I just don't want to. I want it to be accessible to people who are trying to build that legacy, that empire. And, you know, I, I'll gladly charge you lots of money when I build your sales team. I just want you to learn how to sell. Okay. So this is my own business strategy. It's my own way I've decided to build my business. But it is absolutely critical that you take formalized sales training as a business owner. Yeah, because I can tell you right now, that first year, two, probably two and a half years, it was rough. Yes. Because <laughs> I mean, coming from corporate, like I'm, I was in accounting, I didn't have to sell anything. You know, I'm just worried about keeping track of everything, making sure they're looking good. Are they profitable? Some strategies, things of that nature. I never had to sell anything. So then you come into being a business owner. And especially when you just start, to your point, you're everything. Mm-hmm. You're the operations, your systems, your HR, your sales, your marketing. Some people are accounting. And it's just so many different things. And everybody's going to have that one thing that they're not good at. I think I'm pretty decent. I'm not going to say I'm terrible, <laughs> but I'm just like, man, it's people who probably do this like in their sleep. And it took a while to your point, like, y'all, I'm really giving y'all like her all the credit because what she's saying, I've experienced it. Yeah. It's like you have to get so many reps in to even feel, like, what's your style? Mm-hmm. Like, are you an aggressive closer? Are you a calm one? Like, how? There's techniques on pausing at certain points. Like it is crazy the stuff that you have to learn in order to successfully get where you want to go. Um, That's yeah. And to your point, the different styles. I mean, I I wish I could start start a comedy show on the different styles of clothing. Right. I mean, it is the things that I have seen in the online business world would never happen in corporate America. Like the closing strategies, the gaslighting, the um, the extra pressure, the aggressiveness. But they tell you that's what you're supposed to do. Oh my God. I'm like, holy moly, is this real? Like, what? I've had a coach tell me that when you get done, you need to ask them for their card. If they're showing hesitancy or saying that they have to go like talk to their spouse or something, they haven't bought all the way in, so you need to hit them with the urgency, like, well, hey, if you get off the phone, the price is going to... I was like, dang, that's do, rough. Do you want to hear a story about the partner objection that I got early on in my business? Let's do it. Okay. So I was still doing all of my sales at this point, and I we were in the process of moving, so I was literally in my realtor's office because my house was getting toured for an open house, okay? And I was taking my Zoom sales call. And at the time, it was for a group coaching program that was helping the solopreneur uh, master sales. It was a very, very long time ago. And and so anyway, so I'm on this call and we're on Zoom and we're having this great conversation. And I asked her that. I said, okay, are you ready to move forward? And she said, I really need to talk to my husband. And I go, oh my gosh, yeah, of course. I'd want to talk to my husband too. I don't need his permission, but we make decisions together. And I said, is he happen to be home? And she said, well, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like I have plenty of time here. I'm just sitting here in my realtor's office when my house is open. So just put me on mute and, you know, take your time, go talk to him and I'll wait right here. And she was like really confused. <laughs> She's like, oh, you'll do that? And I go, yeah, sure. Like how much time do you think you need? She's like, I don't know. We're usually pretty quick, like 10, 15 minutes. I was like, great. I'll answer some emails. So that's literally what happened. She put me on mute. She walked away. And then she came back and she's like, oh my gosh, my husband's so excited. He thinks this is the best fit. And so I want to pay in full so I can get all of the bonuses. And um, can you send me the link? And then she was my client. And that was it. Mm. No pressure. You gave her the opportunity. So maybe that's the question I should ask. To the people who teach, 
like, and I get it. There is such thing as urgency because, you know, we don't want tire kickers, but I don't think it makes you bad to say, like, let me think about it. Like, we just signed somebody over the weekend. They came on Monday. We talked to him on Friday, Mm -hmm. laid out the options. He said, all right, cool. He said, I feel pretty good with it, but can I just think about it over the weekend? I was like, sure. I didn't try to. Well, if you do that, then I'm going to up it. And I was just like, sure. Because I think to your point, like you want people who want to work with you and they really made that commitment internally to say, this is an investment. I don't want to have to force you and like put the gun to your head just so you work with us. And sure enough, I said, well, here, let's follow up on Monday. Now, if you have any questions, we can talk about it. He's like, all right, cool. I said, right. Or if everything's good, you just hit the button. All he did was just hit the button. I looked at my email. I was like, yeah. So I think to your point, there are different styles. Would you be willing to say which ones are wrong? Anything that is using any form of gaslighting is... Explain gaslighting because some people be like, no, that's, that's not gaslighting. I'm just keeping it real. Yeah, they're not keeping it real. So gaslighting <laughs> is when you make people feel crazy basically for their own decision-making process, right? So everyone makes decisions in different ways um, and you have to be respectful to the decision-making process. So I teach a method that's really deeply rooted in emotional intelligence and connection and empathy, and it's extremely powerful. I can get anyone to buy anything from me at any time, like without, I mean, literally. Whoa. But the thing is, is it comes within a massive amount of responsibility, a massive amount of responsibility, because I need to make sure that it's the right fit for them. I don't want to be responsible for using my own power to get someone to say yes to something that they really should not have said yes to. Because what would that, in a bad taste, that would look like? So that could be a form of gaslighting. That I could use my power to do those things. You have to know what you're doing and if it's ethical. And this is a really, really fine line. And I'm really passionate about this because this is the thing that happens. There are tons of big companies out there, and especially in the online space, that are still using like the old school, very hard pressure, aggressive sales tactics. What's happening is that the consumer is getting more intelligent about the process. So now they're telling everybody about that it's happening. One, which is not good for your brand. Two, um, it may still be working. They get into the program and they have buyer's remorse, which means they don't complete your program, which means you don't have a success story, which means they go tell all of their friends. There are literally pods of people that have gone through certain programs, which I'm not going to talk about, that now will have their own little support groups (laughs) because of the trauma they experience right? And there's different levels of this. There's some that don't even know they're doing it. They're just like, oh, I'm like, I'm getting my sale. You know, that's another conversation, right? There's also others that are intentionally doing it and are creating toxic environments. And anybody who hasn't watched Escaping Twin Flames on Netflix, you should go do that. Shout out to Netflix. Yeah. Okay, let's go there. Because to your point, and I've seen that Probably within the past month, like there's some people who like, hey, I joined this mastermind group type group mm-hmm. and they're like, hey, they, they make the sales sound really awesome and amazing. Yep. And I get in there. I do get a quick win, but then something happens and I don't hear from this. And then I try to reach out and it just goes south to those people mm-hmm. like that's kind of what you're hinting at. What does that mean? The sales process was like versus what it should be. Right. So if you're struggling getting people, if people ghost you, if people say give you verbal yeses but never purchase from you, if it seems like somebody is really excited to work with you but they don't, that's when it's time for you to really work on your sales skills because it's very, um, I find it very common that someone is really nice on a Zoom call and kind and like then the other person's going to want to be nice too. Like, I don't want to shut this person down and make them feel bad. How do I let them down nicely? So a lot of times they're like, send me a proposal or, you know, I'll think about it or whatever it could be. So that could be natural ways that people are making decisions or it could be the way the prospect doesn't want to hurt that person's feelings, right? And so it's really important that you are isolating objections so that you can determine if it is actually a sales opportunity or not. Because what you don't want to do is chase 
chase, chase, chase people who are never going to purchase from you. So I'll give you an example. That is so say that again, because that that used to be me because I didn't again, didn't know any different. Yeah. But I send it and then you keep there's something such as good follow up. Mm -hmm. And then there's what you're talking about. Break it down for us. Yes. So a lot of times people will come to me and they will say, Michelle, like I have these 40 hot leads. I followed up with them six times each. No one's getting back to me. Everyone said they were interested. They're not following through. And I'm like, they're not interested. And let me tell you why, right? So we'll break it down. And usually the root of it looks like something like this, okay? Let's say we're in a conversation about, you know, me building your sales team for you, right? And one of your um, objections is, you know what? This isn't good timing for me because I just hired, you know, somebody to do XYZ in my business and I need to get them onboarded before I take on another expansion of my team, okay? Okay. That's a valid concern, right? Very. Totally, right? So it could totally be just a, hey, I need five minutes, Michelle. Or it could be, I don't want to do this, so I'm going to tell her I'm busy with something else and we'll see how it goes. So what my comeback to that would be or my response would be like, absolutely, I think that's really responsible um, responsible of you as the business owner because I want you to be successful working with me. And if you have too much going on, we won't have the opportunity to do this right. So let me ask you, Cameron, when are you done with the onboarding process of this new team member? Uh, Give me about 60 to 90 days and then they should be fully up and running. Okay. So is it 60 or 90? Uh, let's just play it safe and say 90 just in case something happens crazy. Awesome. So then we're looking towards the end of February for when you're ready for that. So would you agree that February would be a great start date for you in order to start to build that sales team? Uh, I mean, that sounds about right, but I'm going to be in the middle of tax season though. So it's going to be really busy. Okay. So let me ask you a question. If you were in the Mm -hmm. middle of tax season and you had Mm -hmm. somebody else building your portfolio during that period of time so that you could fulfill, um, would that be appealing to you? Or do you think you're prepared to wait even longer to scale sales? I mean, if somebody was still bringing in clients while I was bringing in all the tax people, that's like, that would be amazing to be honest with you. Awesome. So how can we get you settled with a sales team member that's performing and I need five weeks for that before you enter into busy season? That would mean we would have to do it in January because it's it's busy because we're doing year end stuff, mm-hmm. but it's not tax season busy because February, March, April is crazy. Yes, I can totally understand. So do you think it would be reasonable um, if we got started in the beginning of January, like I know you have that team member, but you've done this before. So do you think we could accelerate that a little bit and get started? That's good. That's good. Right? So do you see how I isolated all of your objections? Okay? Uh-huh. So if they're real- and you didn't do it nasty either. Like right. you didn't make me feel bad or like I'm passing up the world's greatest opportunity. Right. So I think- as you can see, why she's gorgeous. And Cameron, what I'll say is the point of that is that you could have at any time said, no, Michelle, I'm not interested, right? But the, the reason why you do that is because if they really are trying to work with you, then keep asking the questions because objection handling is actually the mind making a logical decision. So everything I asked you, you had to pause and think about it. You're like, great. Is that realistic? Will that benefit me? Is that realistic? Will that benefit like, These are good ways that people make good decisions. And if you rush through that process, people make bad decisions that aren't ready to implement. And we all want people that implement. Like that's the whole point, right? And so at any time you could have like, what could have happened to like, let's say you were really not ready. You could be, you know, Michelle, no, I just don't think so in January. And then I would have just said, hey, you know what? Be honest with me. You're not quite ready for this, are you? And then usually if they're really not ready, yep, if they're really not ready, like, you know what, Michelle, you're right. Like this is kind of like a pipe dream thing for me. And then I would likely downsell into something else that could help them feel more safe and prepared for the future of the sales. Which may be the the group you were talking about. Yeah. So I Because that one is not as massive, but you're still getting something and you can go at your own pace. Yep. See? I, I'm not trying to, I don't get commissions or nothing. No. I'm just saying, I've done a lot of courses 
where they really push sales in an aggressive way. Like I've had some people like, oh yeah, tell them if they really wanted to work with you, then they could put it on a credit card. Like it's about what you want and doing which. And I was just like, so let me tell you a story about that credit card. So I have a lot of international clients and oddly enough, like quite a few in Norway, which is interesting, right? And uh-huh. so she was having some issues with um, selling one of her programs right now. She's having a lot more objections than than usual. And there's lots of reasons that's happening. So we were working through a couple of things. And I asked her, I said, you know, Americans put everything on credit cards and there's like 0% for 12 months. And you're like, I'll figure it out within 12 months, all these things. And I was like, do people do that in Norway? She's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Like, no one wants debt here. And I was like, that is so interesting to me, right? So Americans are like, debt, 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 you know, American dream, put it on the credit card, rock and roll. And then you have an entirely different culture that's like, oh, I don't even want a credit card. And I think, or at least from what I've seen, the thought process is, well, if this program is as good as this being, you know, claimed to be, well, if I got to pay you 10K, but you're going to help me make 100, well, when I make the 100 or while I'm getting it, then I'll just pay it off. It's a worthwhile investment. I got my ROI. So I'm willing to take that loss now in order to be better off in three to six months, for example. Yes. Which, to your point, you can argue that that's business in and of itself. Right. It's a money offer. If you have a money offer, 100%, you can see that. But if it's not a money offer, like maybe it's not loosely, maybe it's not closely tied to money. Like there's, I mean, agencies usually have, you know, money offers to help you make more money. But marketing takes a while. Marketing's not like turn on the faucet and all of a sudden I'm super rich. Like that's not how it yeah. works. Like marketing takes time to work well. So, and I, and so I get that. But like if you make, 20 10K investments and hoping they are all going to make you a certain amount of money, it starts to stack and it becomes a problem. That's actually where I see the issue. So if you do it just once or twice and it's strategic, then of course you're going to make back your money if you're doing that. Um, it's just when people use it, overuse it. And the other thing is most online business owners are bootstrapped. They don't have capital that they're funded with, right? So you have to get a little bit creative. You know, SaaS startups or the startup world, like they're, they all have capital. That's facts. Okay, I got a controversial question for you since we're here. So would you suggest, and we may make some agencies mad, (laughs) if you had, let's just say, we'll use 10K, that's an easy number. Or we'll say five. Okay. You have 5K. Mm -hmm. And you can go to either a marketing agency and pay for ads. Okay. Or you come to sales coaching slash training, and we're not even going to say it's you, we're just going to say in general. You would tell them to pick which, if they want an immediate, let's just say 90 day ROI, Mm -hmm. which one is better and why? All right. So I would have to ask a couple of questions. So my first question would be, sir, do you have inbound leads? Most everybody I think would say yes. Great. Do you have calls on your calendar? We'll just, I'll act like some of my clients. Yes. So I'm a... I know who to act like. Okay. All right. Uh, We got a couple, but not where I want them to be. How many do you, what's your closing percentage on the calls that you do have on your calendar? Uh, Like probably 40 to 50. 40 to 50%. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how many more calls per week would you need in order to hit your goal at that current closing? Well, I'm having about three calls a month, but I was talking to Cameron, you know, he recommended me to you. And he told me in order to get to the million dollar run rate, I need to have eight calls and close four at $1,500 a month. Okay. So first of all, right now you need to solve the inbound lead problem or or resolve it in a different way because you don't have enough opportunities to hit that number. So if you came to me and you said you had 10 calls booked on your calendar per week and you were closing 20% of them, I would have a heart attack. And I would want you to be in a sales program so you can convert more of those leads. But if you don't have a full calendar or you don't have inbound leads coming through your CRM where someone could follow up and book the calls, then you need to figure out your marketing piece first and get people on your calendar. And then we can solve any additional sales problems. Mm. Okay. So big distinction there. Yes. So you got to have leads first. Yes. Before we start talking sales. 
Because, see, I think maybe a common misconception is, well, but aren't you just, I only get two calls a month. I just need to close those two and I'd be better off. Well, see, this is the nuance of it, right? You said you closed about 40 to 50% of them. Had you told me you were like 10, 15%, I'd be like, no, whoa, we don't want any more leads on your calendar because you don't know how to close. <laughs> right. Right? So let's fix that first, right? So there's a lot of nuances to it. But, um, you know, and also if you're having two or three calls and you're doing like a 50% close rate, like that's decent. I mean, I close closer to 90. So I would probably want to listen to one of those calls and be like, oh, whoa, wait, 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 you don't need any more leads. You just need number of the sales side of it. So that's the other flip of the coin. But the thing is, is I never lie to anybody. I would never say you need me first when you don't really, because that's just going to shoot myself and my brand in the foot. And you have to do it in the right order. And it just depends on what your specific situation looks like. Okay, that makes sense. Um, oh, crap. This is flown. Okay, we got like six more minutes. Yeah, All you're right. a good interviewer. Thank you so you're much. You're welcome. I'm having um, <laughs> I just try to, because I think about like the questions my clients may have, or like we've been meeting with a couple. And of course, we've been talking about sales because my job as CFO is to help you to make more money and then balance it all. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, you have to get more leads to get to X amount of level. So I'm just trying to think on their behalf, like some of them may only have three calls in a month. But to your point, if you close one or two of those, that's great. But to your point, I think that's a very specific distinction. Like, first off, maybe instead of just having three, we need to get you six, seven, eight, nine, ten calls. And then we have more data to use on, are you good or not? Because uh, we, we didn't even get into offers, because I know that's a big part of what you teach. Yeah, so it's a huge- Offers part. is huge. Yep. If you have a crappy offer, it's going to be really difficult to sell it. <laughs> so, okay. So see, that's a whole different thing. Offers is making sure that that's optimized and it's communicated effectively. Correct. See, I only noticed because I've- <laughs> Well, I mean, that's how you learn, right? But yeah, if it's not positioned right or, you know, or if it's misaligned with the type of persona you're trying to sell to, like if you have the persona of an established business owner that has a growing team and you come in and try to sell, sell them a self-studied course, unless their team member is going to take it, that is not what an established business owner does. They either want services, team members, or other done-for-you services. Like, that's just how it is, right? But if you're right. going after a brand new entrepreneur who's still in their nine to five, doesn't have control over their calendar and needs something they can learn at night, then a course or something like that's going to be a perfect fit for them. So you have to make sure the market fits there as well. Okay. All right. Let's switch it up. Dang, I wish we had more time. But I know you got to keep saving the world. <laughs> okay. Last question. Tell us a funny accounting or tax horror story that probably not now, but in your beginning years, you were like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Okay. So that's actually a wonderful conversation. I was having a conversation about this actually a couple of days ago with my husband. And, you know, we have like complicated taxes. We have a lot of things going on, right? right. And I'm a smart, successful person. Like I look at my numbers. I do all the things you're supposed to do, right? And I was like, Andy, I am so confused. Like, why? You know? And I'm like looking at this. I'm just so mad. And you don't know this, but I, up to about like two years ago, hated looking at my money. I was great at making it. And then I just would be like, there you go, Andy. There you go. There you go. So I'm like, generate all this money. I'm like, whatever you want to do with it, it's all off to you, right? And that just was my personality. And then I realized it's a problem. So I need, so I've been working super hard over the last two years to then look at the money that I'm making and ensure that it's going out to the right places. Okay. Yep. And so that's been something I've been really, really working on. And so you successful business owner, successful in my professional career, well educated. I have a BA, went to a great university. I take things really seriously. We're diversified in our investments. We own real estate. We own um, part of a restaurant. We have all this. And I'm like looking at this and I am so confused. So this is my first lesson is 
if you're confused, ask somebody. Don't sit there confused. So ask somebody and get the support that you need to understand your numbers because it is absolutely critical. Even if even if it's something you don't like or makes you uncomfortable, like the situation that I just shared, right? Two is the system is freaking broken. I, in high school, should have had to take an accounting and tax course to understand this all. Like that should just be mandatory. And it is absolutely insane to me that we're not being taught that at, you know, in high school. And there's my <laughs> so far. I think that, that's amazing <laughs> advice. All right. Well, she has to go save the world. So let's end it the way we always do. So this is your time. Tell the people name where to best connect with you. What are you offering to help them? Why they should pick you versus the guy who wants you to just slap it on a credit card by the day or else he's going to add an extra 3K. Like, throw all that on there so that way people may say, I love her energy, I love her wisdom, et cetera, and I want to work with her. How can they find you? So first of all, I'm Michelle Terpstra, and I own the Startup Sales Leadership Institute. And why you would want to work with me over somebody else is because I strongly believe that you need to build a sustainable business that does not require you to be involved on a day-to-day basis. And I want to show you the way to do that. And I have a couple of ways I can support you. But what I would absolutely love is if you went onto Facebook and you searched Michelle Terpstra and you sent me a message and told me that you heard this podcast and what your biggest takeaway was from this conversation, that would mean the world to me. And if you're into free stuff, I have tons of free stuff on my website. So michelleterpstra.com forward slash resources. And you'll find them all there. All right. Now, oh, spell the last name in case they, they're not good at spelling. Yes, so this is uh, the married last name that's hard to spell, right? Okay, here we go. This is my Michelle with two L's. My last name is Terpstra. T is in Tom. E is in Elephant. R is in Robert. P is in Paul. S is in Sam. T is in Tom. R is in Robert. A is in Apple.com. She wants to make sure that y'all know. Now, as you guys can see, like, she's awesome. She cares about what she's doing. This is not something that she learned from a course and is repurposing. This is her coming from a successful career working with, she didn't just say anybody, you said three Fortune 500 companies. She was making six figures, which lets you know she was trusted with a lot. And she still has positive relationships, which lets you know she did an amazing job. So she has multiple options. Guys, go check her out. Check out the Facebook group she has. Check her out. Just connect with her to see some of the great information and value that she's posting. Because I think that sales at the end of the day drives businesses forward. We can try to make it fancy and throw all these other things. But the fact is, sales drives us forward. And somebody like Michelle on your team is invaluable. They can not only help you to close more, but even optimize and grow your sales team. So please, please, please reach out to her um, and just just see what she has to offer. You've heard the podcast. You've heard the, the goodies, the gold nuggets she's dropped with the honey mustard. Like, <laughs> I mean, she don't have to say nothing else. So we thank you guys so much, Michelle. Thank you again for coming. It's always our job to find you guys the best people. We can't wait until the next episode. So until then, you guys stay safe, take care of each other. Peace. Thank you, Cameron.